stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. Cell and gene therapy, precision medicine, connected health. These are just a few of the areas of expertise in the life sciences, biopharmaceutical, and healthcare space that are transforming the R&D arena and ultimately delivering novel and truly incredible treatments, therapies, devices, medicines, and so much more that are allowing people around the world to live healthier and more productive lives. And it's all happening right here in Greater Philadelphia with academic institutions like Penn, Drexel, Rowan, Temple, Jefferson, and others leading the way. And they're doing it through a winning model of collaboration. They're collaborating with leading companies and startups and tech companies and insurance providers, hospital groups, regulators, and others. This spirit of collaboration and expertise in research and development, which is fueled by an unparalleled talent pool of passionate professionals from across industry sectors, is just one reason why the 2019 Bio-International Convention is taking place in Greater Philadelphia. From June 3rd through the 6th, more than 18,000 visitors are expected to attend this dynamic gathering hosted at the Pennsylvania Convention Center in Center City, Philadelphia. We here at Growing Greater, along with our teams at PHL Life Sciences, Delaware Bio, BioNJ, and Life Sciences Pennsylvania, are really excited that this industry-leading convention is taking place in our region. It gives us a chance to showcase all that our collective community has to offer and to welcome new life sciences businesses to the neighborhood. In this special episode, we talk all things bio with Jim Greenwood, president and CEO of this special organization. While BIO, which is an acronym for Biotechnology Innovation Organization, is based out of Washington, D.C. and represents biotechnology companies, academic institutions, state biotechnology centers, and related organizations across the U.S. and in more than 30 countries around the world, Jim actually has a special place in his heart for greater Philadelphia because this is his home. A native of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, located just about 15 miles north of Philadelphia, Jim has had an incredible career. And for the past 15 years, he has steered the bio ship to bring about impact for its members and for the patients who rely on the treatments and medicines produced by bio's member organizations. We gathered with a live studio audience at Jefferson University and Jefferson Health for our behind-the-scenes look at bio and the 2019 Bio International Convention. Here, Jim tells us more about bio. So what we are is we're the National Trade Association for Biotechnology Companies. We have about 1,000 members. About probably 85% of them are in the drug discovery business. Mm -hmm. Pharma, capital P, has about 32 members. Almost all of them are members of bio, but what separates us, one of the things that separates us is we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these really exciting, innovative startup companies um, where all of the real fascinating science is going on. We also represent the food and agricultural side of biotechnology. So GMO seeds, Mm -hmm. transgenic salmon, all kinds of things going on in, in plants and animals. And then the, what we call our industrial and environmental section. So yeah. companies that are basically into biofuels and biomaterials. The way I like to think about it is you have uh, hydrocarbons, which are your, sort of your petroleum products, which we've used 
for a very long time for energy, and we've used for a very long time to make plastics and things like that. Yeah. And there are a lot of environmental consequences to both of that. If you use hydrogen in the carbon and you throw some oxygen, you get carbohydrates, and that's plant material for the most part. And so this is about converting that plant material into fuels and into alternative plastics. Yeah. And then we also represent the companies that are in the biodefense sector, hmm. companies that make countermeasures against what could be a bioterror event. So our motto is that we heal, fuel, and feed the world. Excellent. I would suspect that many of us gathered here this morning and others who are listening are probably surprised to hear the breadth of work that BIO is involved with and the members of BIO are involved with. Mm -hmm. And I love the, and really appreciate the evolution, if you will, of the positioning of the organization from, and it's subtle, biotech industry organization to biotechnology innovation organization. That is actually more compelling than I think uh, most people would probably appreciate just from thinking about that. So that evolution is actually a really good example of uh, how the industry has evolved as well. And uh, 2019 is really shaping up to be a novel year. I think the last five to eight years, there's been major breakthroughs in research and advancements and other kinds of activities. Are there things that stand out for you either this year or in the more recent years or maybe what's coming in the next couple sure, years based on sure. what you're hearing from your bio yeah. members? So let me go back a little bit to the beginning of your question about the breadth of biotechnology. Sure. When I applied for this job, my first appearance, there were 32 candidates. I had first appearance between the, with the uh, search committee and then they narrowed it down to like six and I had my second one. And I knew all the questions they were going to ask me about you know, management and politics and policy. And so, but there was a question on there that was, do you have a passion for biotechnology? And that night, I woke up in the middle of the night and I think, I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, I just yeah. kind of got started with the interest in this organization. So when they asked me that question, I said, well, I knew you were gonna ask me that. And I was thinking about it at three o'clock this morning. And here's the answer I came up with. I said, um, and it probably sounds crazy, like you would think of at that time of day. But it is that four and a half billion years ago, in the primordial soup, the first cell divided and that was the beginning of life right and pursuant to darwinian evolution we've developed all of these species and at least we think we're the crown of creation we have these big brains and these perceptions and these posing thumbs and i say we can literally reach into our body pull out our dna put it under a microscope and from what we learn we prevent a couple from burying its child we prevent a man from turning to his wife of 60 years and asking who are you I said, Darwinian evolution is a spectacular phenomenon because it is what creates all of this diversity and strength of life. But it's cruel. It's about the survival of the fittest. And we're too sensitive a species now to just let only the genetically fittest survive. And so I'd like to help you outrun Darwin. So they said, you got the job. (laughs) (laughs) Your research worked. But biotechnology is not just another thing. Right. I think it's the most profound thing in the human history, and that's a big statement, but what I mean by that is this is understanding life, human life, plant life, animal life, at the cellular level, at the genetic level, at the molecular level, and all of the intelligence in the planet, and as far as we know so far in the universe, is in the DNA. It's where all the information is, all the intelligence. And so tapping into that intelligence and then figuring out, all right, so how do we cure this disease, how do we feed more people, how do we clean the environment, is really quite a a journey. So on the human health side, 
you know, we, if you think about medicines, you kind of start out with what we call the small molecule. Most people know this. Right. Chemical compounds, essentially. And then in the mid-80s, we got into understanding how to do recombinant DNA. And now we make um, large molecules. These are proteins. These are, you know, you're made in, instead of making a chemical compound, you're, you're making them in big things that look like beer reactors. Yeah. And they've been a breakthrough. A lot of fabulous biologics. And now we're moving into cell therapy and mm. gene therapy. Right. Where rather than, so in one condition, patient has a genetic mutation and because of that genetic mutation, they can't produce a protein that's necessary for some important function. Uh, and so you basically create that protein and you inject it, fuse it in the patient regularly. Right. To overcome that lack. In gene therapy, you say, well, let's actually fix the genetics, right? And so right here in Philadelphia, we have Spark Therapeutics, which had the very first gene therapy product approved. A rare genetic condition of the eye appears in children, and it's a, a deteriorating condition where they become, they lose their vision, lose their vision. So what Spark did, and this is research that came out of CHOP, right. they basically take the correct genetic sequence, insert it into a virus that is benign, and then inject it behind the eye, and the virus delivers the genetic material into the cells behind the eye, and those cells then produce the products, the proteins that are necessary. And the first time I saw a video over at Spark a few years ago, they had a boy who was practically blind, and they made a, a maze, which is basically what you think of as a maze, but hanging down from the ceiling by strings were little pieces of cardboard, mm -hmm. and he would just bang into them, bang into them. So, he, I mean, that's how bad his vision was. Right. The vision is now improved through this process by 10,000%. And these kids can live, you know, very normal lives. So, and this is just the beginning of gene therapy and cell therapy. And it's going to be transformative. It's going to be absolutely transformative. I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that there isn't a disease that we will not be able to cure and conquer uh, eventually. And taking more broadly on the issue of gene editing. So gene editing has its applications in the medical field, but it also has its applications in agriculture and elsewhere. Basically, you know, what DNA is, is a series of letters, A, G, C's, and T's, various sequences, and that's where all the, the intelligence is. And to be able to edit those genes in ways that are corrective or ways that are improvements. Yep. So to be able to take a plant that in Florida, the orange, the citrus crop is very much a threat because of rust. To be able to say, okay, let's take those oranges and edit the genes to protect them from that effect, you know, is spectacular. Yeah, for um, sure. Now, with the whole GMO thing, with GMO, it was transgenic. So you're taking protein from the bacteria and inserting it in corn and soy and cotton mm -hmm. in ways that are actually make us need less pesticide. And it's very benign, it's very safe, but it got a really bad name. Right. Everybody, you know, nobody understands what GMOs are, but they love to hate them anyway. Right. And we want to make sure that that doesn't become the fate of gene editing because gene editing has so much promise. We have to really do our homework to educate people to understand that this is really part of what gives us hope as a species. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. Which is actually a really good pivot to one of the other reasons that we're gathered here is uh, to welcome BIO's, what I would call signature program, BIO International 2019, is being hosted in Greater Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania Convention Center, June 3rd through the 6th. And I'd love for you to give us a perspective on what you expect to happen at Bio International mm -hmm. every year, because it, yeah. it is a mix of education, it's a mix of business development, it's a mix right. of um, R&D kind of uh, presentations. 
So if you could, share sure. with us your vision. Sure. This is our fourth time we will be here. Mm -hmm. This is not just a trade show. This is not like a car show or electronic show where you say, what are the new products? Oh, cool, these are the new products. Yeah. This is a phenomenon in which something like 18,000 people from 60-some, 70 countries from around the world and most of the states come into the convention center for a mm -hmm. few days. And what happens in there is several things. One, we do one-on-one -on -one partnering. If you're into partnering and you want to do business to business, and they run up to this thing, you go in our system, yep. you can search all of the people who want to be doing that. You can search by company, molecule, disease, whatever you want. Say, I want to meet with you. If the answer is yes, our system sets it up. You go into the convention center, there'll be 500 booths numbered, and you say, okay, at nine o'clock, I have a meeting with Jansen. We'll put on 50,000 one-on-one meetings in two and a half days, okay? So what that means is, number one, it saves a whole lot of jet fuel. Mm -hmm. People don't have to fly all over the country and all the world to meet each other, right? But what comes of that is new collaborations, new partnerships, new investments. Mm -hmm. And that has an exponential growth to the business. The other thing that happens is we have all of these educational sessions. So you can come there, you can learn about the science and the politics and, mm -hmm. and the business model. So these entrepreneurs become more savvy and more capable of, of being in the system. We have plenaries. Mm -hmm. uh, this year we're going to have, I like to interview people there, so we're going to have Jamie Dimon, yep. J.P. Morgan, is a really nice guy, you know, very rich, big banker, but you know, really down-to-earth guy. Yep. And then a guy by the name of Siddhartha Murkiji, who wrote The Emperor of All Maladies and also The Gene. Mm -hmm. Brilliant oncologist, biologist, scientist. So, you know, you come and you network and we throw the best parties in the face of the earth. Yeah, that's right, totally. And I want to add, if I could, I know a proud Philadelphia native is also part of your lineup uh, this year and Ken Frazier from Yes, Burke. yes, yeah. absolutely, super guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have a lot of fireside chats and mm -hmm. super sessions where people come in by the hundreds yeah. and listen and learn. Is there a part of Bio International Convention that stands out for you as being your favorite? I know that's a tough question because you know, it's like asking you know, which of your three kids are your favorite, right? Well, I can tell you a moment that was one of my favorites. Yeah, please. So I said I do these interviews, and I've interviewed Hillary Clinton and both the recent prime ministers of Great Britain and Colin Powell and, yep. and uh, Richard Branson. One year I interviewed Bill Clinton and George W. Bush at the same time. So I was a little nervous about that. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, then a voice would say, Colin Greenwood, you've done this a hundred times. Right. And the guy on this show would say, no, you haven't. <laughs> this is right. Yeah. This it's is two pres presidents right. at the same time. Right. Right? Nobody's ever done that. You know? So I knew that I was going to need an opening line of humor mm -hmm. because that's to relax me. That's why you know, speakers tell jokes, relax themselves, not the audience. So I came up with one and I ran it by my daughter and she said, Daddy, whatever you do, do not use that line. <laughs> so the three of us are, and then I knew these guys, I've served with both of them. We're in the green room and the guy with the headphones comes back and says, uh, gentlemen, 30 seconds. And so we go to the back of the stage and the voice of God says, Ladies and gentlemen, the Honorable James Greenwood, President and CEO of Bio, and lights and music, and I mm -hmm. walk out on stage. Ladies and gentlemen, former presidents William Jefferson Clinton, George W. Bush, lights and music, and they all come out and sit down. And so I said, uh, what an incredible moment this is for us yeah. to have on our stage at the same time, not just one, not just two, but three presidents. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't take your daughter's advice. I didn't advice. take my daughter's advice. <laughs> She was afraid that with all of the foreign visitors, they would take me serious. Right. So we did the interview. It was fascinating. At one point, uh, Bush kept calling Clinton President Clinton. Right. And Clinton kept calling Bush George. Hmm. So finally, Clinton says, call me Bill. Right. And Bush says, call me George. And I said, 
Well, I would still prefer if you gentlemen refer to me as Mr. President. <laughs> so you kept it going. That was fine. <laughs> that was fine. And uh, do we have time for one more story? Yeah, later? absolutely. Richard Branson, I interviewed him a couple years ago. And I started out by saying, I'm you know, going to get your background behind me. So let's, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, just yes or no. Yeah. So I said, is it true that you tried to set the world's record for crossing the Atlantic in a motorboat? pounding your way across the surf for days. And just before you got to Europe, the boat came to pieces and you spilled into the ocean, you had to be rescued. He said, yes. And then you tried to cross the Atlantic, set the record for a hot air balloon. And that hit bad weather. You had to leap 50 feet into the frozen northern Atlantic and be pulled out by a helicopter. Is that true? Yes. So then you tried to set the record for crossing the Pacific. You left Japan, you ended up crash landing in a frozen lake in Canada right. and had to be rescued. Yes. Then you tried to set the world record for circling the whole globe, and you were shot at by the Iranians and the Iraqis and the Russians. Yeah, that's true. I said, um, you took on British Airways and beat them with Virgin mm -hmm. Airlines. Yes, that's true. I said, have you ever started a biotechnology company? Mm -hmm. And he said, no. I said, what, just never had the guts? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. We'll continue our conversation with Jim in just a moment. And now I'd like to thank the team at Jefferson, a multifaceted organization that is rewriting the rules and resetting the odds when it comes to healthcare and higher education. Jefferson is both a health system and a professional university that offers a distinctive award-winning curriculum. The Jefferson team is breaking new ground with the opening of their new Jefferson Institute for Bioprocessing, a state-of-the-art training facility. Learn more about all that Jefferson has to offer by visiting jefferson.edu. And please join me in thanking the team at Jefferson University and Jefferson Health for their support of this podcast and for their work to reimagine health, education, and discovery. Now let's get back to our conversation with Jim Greenwood of Bio. Folks, questions from the floor, if anybody has uh, one or two. And as we transition to this question, I want to point out that, and I want to actually thank you and your team, Jim, because we are thrilled that your team has chosen to host Bio International 2019 here in Greater Philadelphia at our beautiful Pennsylvania Convention Center. And I know Bonnie Grant from PHL Life Sciences is here. Her team makes a lot of the magic happen with your team, and we're very hopeful that things work so well that we're gonna be a destination that is not just four times in the history of bio, but more frequent than that, I suspect. Well, you know, people think biotechnology, I think of Boston, San Francisco, San Diego, maybe the Research Triangle. This region is the sixth most important biotech hub in the world. Yep. And it's what happens here in Philadelphia, it's what happens in New Jersey, it's what happens in Delaware, and it has all of the ingredients. And one thing I want to say, and we're probably running out of time, but you don't grow a biotech hub just by going out and lassoing companies from other places. Right. You grow it by having all the ingredients. Yeah. NIH money here, tech transfer here, support for small companies, a combination of large pharma and small companies, and, and that's what builds and grows a hub. Yeah, very organic. And now Philadelphia yeah. is the Silicon Valley of the world because we're leading the world in cell and gene therapy here. That's right. I'm glad you used that phrase. It was just referenced uh, recently. Yeah. Amory Hughes. Hi, I'm with Wells Fargo, and we do a lot of support for life sciences companies, obviously, but I'm also a pancreatic cancer survivor. Oh. Thanks to Jefferson's lead surgeon here, who is a premier surgeon in the world for pancreatic surgeons. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. My interest is in the FDA process and your view on the FDA process and how that hinders or supports the business of biotech. Yeah. So every drug, after all of the, the research and development, the clinical trials are done, the sponsor, the company, takes the data to the FDA. And the, and the FDA's job is to review that data and determine whether the product is, in fact, both safe and effective. And we have the gold standard for that, and we would not want it any other way. We're not interested in making drugs that are not safe or not effective. It's not good. It's not the humane, right moral thing to do, and it's not the good business. When I was in Congress, we rightly concluded that it took too long to get this done. There wasn't enough of a sense of urgency. wasn't enough. They didn't have the resources. And so we started, there's a thing called PDUFA, the Pharmaceutical Drug User Fee Act. Way back in the 90s, the industry realized that Congress was not going to put enough money into FDA. So we said, put a fee, and every time we take all this data to the FDA, charge us, now they charge us a million plus, and that develops the personnel. But now what we do is we go over there twice a year and we monitor how are you doing using all that money to hire the people that we all negotiated with you. And so now I think actually we have a good, the industry has a great relationship with FDA. Sorry to see Scott Gottlieb go, but his successor is, is going to be very good as well. Now the problem is not how long it takes to go through the FDA, it's how long it takes to get to the FDA. So what we want to do is reform clinical trials, streamline clinical trials, use real-world evidence, use information technology so that we can go through the clinical process sooner and get to the FDA and get the products out to the patients like yourself. So Jim, you had mentioned collaboration earlier and the importance of collaboration among researchers at university levels and hospitals like Jefferson here and private industry companies in the startup space and even some that are, you know, very well-established global international companies see the opportunity to collaborate to advance right. projects from concept to implementation. I want to put a little twist on that collaboration and uh, talk about the administration, if you will, of a major global gathering like Bio International 2019. So we have Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania all working together. The great leadership, as I mentioned, of PHL Life Sciences to make this a, as smooth and flawless as possible. How important is that for you and your team when you go into a region and, and there's this spirit of collaboration? Because we like to think it's kind of special here, yeah. and I suspect it makes your job a little bit easier with your team to sure. implement. Well, first off, it is, a, as you can imagine, a huge undertaking to pull this all off. And my fabulous staff that does this, and they do it quite well. And it's really important because we want people to come back, not only here, but just every year, wherever we are. Yeah. So we want people to have a very good experience. A couple of interesting things happen. I talked about the partnering. I talked about the sessions, learning sessions. We also have a huge exhibit hall and where there are pavilions from all of the countries all over the world in the States. And they're all basically saying, you know, bring your business to, you know, France or bring it to Oklahoma. And mm -hmm. so there's an economic development competition that goes on there. But the other thing that happens is all of those people come into Philadelphia, many of whom might not have been aware of the biotech phenomena community in Philadelphia area, in this region, and they say, well, maybe this is a good place to be. I didn't realize there was so much happening here. Let me just talk about gene therapy for a, yeah, a minute. Yeah, please. You know, in, I think it was 1999 at Penn, Jesse Gelsinger died in, in a very early gene therapy experiment. Mm -hmm. uh, an experiment, clinical trial, clinical trial yep. and, and um, it was a terrible thing that happened. Um, but it really set gene therapy back. Right. Um, people were afraid of, of what, you know, unintended consequences of it. And it is so fitting that 
it, it's here mm-hmm. that it's having its resurgence. I think in my speech right now, I'm talking about how we deal with this, like Philadelphia is like the comeback city, right? You know, it's like Rocky Balboa on the mat, right? You know, and the gong goes off, right. and, you know, dun, 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 he, and he still up. gets up, <laughs> right? The Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what's happening here in Philadelphia, and we've right. really become the capital of, of gene therapy, and it's a phenomenal thing to see. Yeah. Other questions from the floor? Yeah, David. One of the things that I've noticed, having been in the industry for a number of years, it's a large enough industry, I think most of the people I've known in the industry want to do right by patients, but the reality is there are some folks I think we could subjectively or even objectively say have been bad actors in the field. And I'm curious, and so when companies take old products and jack up the price 70, 100 times where they've done minimal investment or innovation, it really, it makes us all look like idiots right. uh, or worse. And I'm curious if you see that there's a role that bio can have, knowing that companies are independent, you know, they can price however they choose to, right. but do you see that bio can have a role in trying to contain that or influence companies so that they don't do the kind of things that make the vast majority of us, you know, really look bad to the public at large? Right. Excellent question. So when Martin Shrikeli did his thing, I happened to be in China with a delegation, and this happened. We called an emergency executive committee call, and I said, we're throwing him out. We're throwing him and his company out. And somebody said, well, you know, it's a slippery slope. I said, you know, where do you draw the line? I said, I don't know where the line is. Just know this guy's on the wrong side of it, right? And there have been bad actors. He was sort of the poster child. But I think Valiant was a bad actor. Sort of this rapaciousness that isn't about innovation. It's about hedge fund type thinking, mm-hmm. applying itself to the, the life sciences. We're not about that. As you say, we can't micromanage every company, right? But we can call out the bad actors and we do. But the thing that we do is we say, we mean it when we say innovation. When I'm on the Hill advocating, or we're in any of the states advocating, we're advocating for policies that accelerate innovation, and we're advocating against policies that we think will decelerate innovation, and if what you're interested in is just being able to set your price as high as you can and jack it up as frequently as possible, you're going to have to find somebody else to advocate for you because that's not what we're about. So, Jim, I want to come back to uh, the floor of the show for a moment or the show overall. Right. And you've touched on a little bit of this precision medicine, cell and gene therapy, right. rare diseases. These are what I would refer to as kind of informal themes that are emerging. Is there a theme for you that stands out as being kind of that milestone moment. Maybe it is cell and gene therapy based on you know what's happening at Penn and other institutions when it comes to that kind of research or rare diseases that are tied to cell and gene. And I know that could be a defining moment as bio, as an organization advances, but is there a theme that you see emerging in a more consistent way? Sort of looking back at the 15 years that I've been here, one of the things in terms of bio's advocacy work you know, you have your biologics, and then you have your biosimilars. Mm-hmm. And when I arrived, there was no such thing as a pathway at the FDA for biosimilars. And frankly, the major companies that were leading the biologics work mm-hmm. didn't want any biosimilars. We have a, you know, the generic drug process, but they didn't want competition. Right. And I said, and all of the heads of the Washington offices said, you know, your job is to make sure that doesn't happen. And I said, no, I ain't doing that. I went over their heads of the board, and I said, look, you know, The pharmaceutical industry did this with generics. They said, oh, you can't make them. You're going to kill everybody. It's not going to be safe. 
they were wrong, they knew it, it was just protectionism, and they lost a whole lot of credibility in the process. I said, look, we should be the chief advocate for biosimilars. Mm -hmm. Everybody's complaining about price, we have to say that we believe in competition, right. and we want a pathway for biosimilars, and rather than get dragged to that table, let's make let's the lead table. It. Yeah, that's right. So I went, to, I went around to all these members of Congress, and I had a little wooden molecule of aspirin. Mm -hmm. This is a small molecule. Here's how you make them. Here's how Hatch-Waxman works. Mm -hmm. Then I open up a DVD, and I'd say, here's a big rotating protein. And I'd go, oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, here's how you make them. Explain the whole process. But there's no Hatch-Waxman doesn't apply to these things. And they would say, well, what, you don't want it? i said, yeah, no, yeah. we want it. But there's one thing that's important, data exclusivity. We have to have 12 years between the time we get our approval and when the biosimilars can come on board. If you give us 12 years, the investment will flow in. Yeah. If you cut it down to less than that, it won't. We got that, and it was interesting is the, when the Affordable Care Act occurred, we didn't advocate one way or another for that. Right. We said, put the biosimilars legislation in there, and then because we were in the midst of the recession, I said, by the way, could we have a billion dollars for small companies? Right. And we got it. Senator Menendez of New Jersey got us that. We got a billion dollars, and we handed it out in quarter million dollar chunks to small companies. So if I hear you right, the business model has to work as much as the R&D models have to work as well. Yeah. Bonnie, I know you had a question you wanted to ask. Recently, hospitality partnered with Bio, with Pharma, with Life Sciences Pennsylvania to defeat a proposed pharma ordinance in Philadelphia that was proposed by city council in the name of the opioid crisis. And we worked with our partners. Hospitality stepped in because we didn't want to be perceived as a pharma-unfriendly city. But most importantly, our partners believed it was the wrong legislation. It would not impact the opioid crisis. Right. I'm wondering what you're seeing, A, in other cities as far as legislation like that, and B, what is bio, and I know you're doing a lot, but could you talk about what bio is doing in the name of the opioid crisis? Yeah. So there's plenty to blame to go around the opioid issue. And I'm not gonna make a judgment on this is all gonna be litigated in the courts, you know, which manufacturers should have known better which distributors should have known better, which doctors should have known better. I did an investigation when I was in Congress on a pill mill, Oxycontin pill mill in Ben Salem, mm -hmm. and I had Purdue Pharma come down, and when I was investigating them, I said, how do you incentivize your sales force? And they said, by volume. I said, well, that's not too smart, is it, for a, a, a dangerous drug that's right. addictive? I took a group of our CEOs last year out to Ohio, to uh, Cleveland and Ashtabula, opioid addiction center of the country. And we did that just to meet with addicts, reform addicts, therapists, cops, judges, just to get it into our blood, mm -hmm. just to get it, understand the depth of this. Right. Because I want to motivate our people to do two things. One, innovate new non-addictive painkillers. We need painkillers, we need non-addictive. In New Jersey, Pasira makes a, a non-addictive painkiller. They use it for surgery. We need more innovation like that. And we need to make better medicines to treat people who are addicted. Medicines like Vivitrol that you know, block the receptors and so forth. We need to innovate that. Now if we're going to innovate that, that means that people have, insurers and governments have to pay for it. Because investors won't invest in that technology unless they think they're going to be rewarded at the end of the day with reimbursement. Yeah. What do you want people to know about Bio 2019 that's coming to Greater Philadelphia June 3rd through the 6th? Well, I want them to know that if they're coming from outside of Philadelphia region, that 
look around. We're going to have tours of all kinds of facilities and companies around. Look around. Yeah. Talk to people from this region and see how much brilliance there is and entrepreneurial spirit and excitement there is around these new technologies. And think about maybe you want to invest in these companies. Maybe you want to collaborate with some of these companies and get in on what's going on here. If you're from this region, I want you to know that this is going to be a huge opportunity for the other side of that equation, that you're going to be able to meet people from all over the country and the world who may very well be interested in, in uh, collaborating with you. Maybe you know, run into somebody who wants to come leave their job and come yep. and work for you. Yep. So it's, as I said in the beginning, exponential growth comes out of this. You know? It's not just a trade show. It's, it's people come in and three or four days later they leave and they are more jazzed about the industry, made more collaborations, more friends, more connections. In the end of the day, that means more cures for patients. And we hope they're more jazzed about Greater Philadelphia as well. I'm glad you mentioned the tours because I do want to quickly reference that there are great dynamic tours being planned. There's a, what I call a trifecta tour in northern Delaware. There's a trifecta tour in southern New Jersey. There's a tour of University City. There's a tour of the Navy Yard. And there's also a really great and unique tour of a new facility that the Jefferson team is launching out in Montgomery County in a neighborhood called Springhouse. It's called the JIB, Jefferson Institute for Bioprocessing. It's a novel organization that is getting ready to open later this month and uh, worth the tour if you want to encourage guests who are visiting to consider that one. By the way, I made a little video about this for some of our visitors and I, I instructed them on how to order a cheesesteak. Oh, excellent. So if, when you go to Patrogino's, don't say I want a cheesesteak. They know what you want. Right. Right? All you have to say is cheesesteak, kind of cheese you want, and wit or not wit. Right. And uh, so hopefully that will be Did a you lot demonstrate of how to eat it as well? Not only did I uh, demonstrate how to eat it, I demonstrated how to eat it wearing an Eagles jersey. Nice. Nice. One of the things we're proud of that we're working towards is a collaborative regional reception on the floor of the show with Pennsylvania, Delaware, and New Jersey, where we're all going to be working together, serving cheesesteaks and wine and beer from our respective uh, communities. Awesome. Uh, so my wrap-up question for you, Jim, it's a little bit more specific about the industry itself. You can change one thing, anything that you want. It could be regulatory. It mm -hmm. could be financial. It could be the time for Padufa, for example. Right. That thing that keeps you up at night that you know, causes you to say, man, if we just got that one thing right, if we just tweak this a little bit, it would be a game changer. Well, I reference it. the thing that we have to change is the patient's out-of-pocket expense. This is an ethical issue. It, it is wrong for someone anywhere in the world, I would say, but, but start here in this country to not be able to access the drugs that they need because of what comes out of their pocket. And we have to fix that for them because that negative experience of either having to pay more than you can afford or not be able to get it all turns people and their elected officials against this industry. And at a moment, with all of these new technologies and therapies, when we we're about to just you know, hammer some of these diseases and save people from suffering and early death, at just at this moment, if the politics goes wrong, then all of that all of that goes down the drain, and with it, the hope of patience. And we go let that happen. Right. That's an inspiring vision. And please know that all of us gathered here and across the greater Philadelphia region are here to help you do that. Thank so, you. Folks, Jim Greenwood, bio. Thanks very much for joining us. Yeah. And thank you all for joining us to be part of this uh, special conversation with Jim.
Be sure to explore all that Greater Philadelphia has to offer in the life sciences and beyond during the 2019 Bio International Convention, taking place June 3rd through the 6th at the Pennsylvania Convention Center. Registration and a full schedule is available at bio.org. That's bio.org. And for other inspiring stories of growth and innovation, be sure to tune in to other episodes of Growing Greater at radio.com or anywhere you get your podcast and online at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast. So before we close out this episode of our program, I want to invite you to Breaking Ground. It's our annual program where we showcase development projects that are revitalizing our greater Philadelphia neighborhood. You'll get an insider's look at the new Market East in Center City, Philadelphia, the reimagining of Pottstown in Montgomery County, as well as projects in Claymont, Delaware, and how an investment in civic space is planting the seeds of growth in Trenton, New Jersey. It's all set for Wednesday, June 12th from 8 to 10 a.m. at the University of the Sciences on 43rd Street in the University City neighborhood of West Philadelphia. Free parking, great breakfast, and with each of you attending along with scores of other guests, it's sure to be a can't-miss event. I hope to meet you there, so please register today for Breaking Ground at chamberphl.com events. That's chamberphl.com events. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania, and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazin and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast.